Every week, it seems like, we hear of something else in our lives that needs to be eliminated. Uh, We don't always necessarily agree with what people propose ought to be eliminated. And, And I'm not necessarily really thinking of, like, things that ought to be eliminated from our diet. I'm really talking about things out of the culture, out of society. And I was thinking through examples of this. It could be a long-standing name of an athletic team that, you know, it's, it's been around since its inception, and all of a sudden there becomes some scrutiny, and people get up in arms and say, that needs to go, right? That, that name of that team needs to go. It needs to be changed into something different. It could be something like a cartoon character like Elmer Fudd for exercising his Second Amendment right and carrying a firearm or for his insatiable appetite for wabbits, if you're a PETA supporter, I guess. Uh, Even here in the news, we've heard that some of the works of Dr. Seuss have been banished from what would be considered acceptable Christian, or not Christian, rather, but children's literature. And there's yet all of those things we may say, well, you know, uh, some of it may seem senseless, some of it may seem silly, uh, but most of those things don't have anything to do with our ability to uh, wholeheartedly worship God and serve Him with all of our might. And And I would agree with you on that. You know, if... If Dr. Seuss goes completely away and uh, cartoons and they change every single athletic team name. But there are other incidents that are more noticeable and perhaps of more concern to us that I think all revolve in the, the same swirl of mindset. For instance, even spouting certain Christian phrases in our society, such as, Marriage of a man and a woman. You know? Dare we, dare we say it so one-sided like that? Sometimes if it's uh, touted, something like marriage of a man and a woman has been declared as hate speech by some people. We're warned in Colossians 2.8 about this mindset. Like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, right folks? Right? This is not really a new problem. And so Paul wrote to the Colossians, and, and the issues were different specific issues that he was dealing with. But the, the foundational problem, the thinking, and the agenda approach was very much similar. And so in the midst of Colossians 2, in verse 8, he says this, Beware lest any man spoil you, or we could say, literally, rob you of valuable truth, because that's what he was getting at. He says, this is the danger. There are, there are false teachers, there are individuals that are coming in, and they're trying to rob you of valuable truth. So beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world, and not after who? Christ. 
which means there is a right way of thinking, and that right way of thinking is always rooted in being Christ-like. And we know what Christ-like thinking is as we go to our Bibles, because this is how Christ has revealed himself to us. But if we just simply cut ties with the authority of Scripture and say, well, we're just going to figure it out on our own, which is what society does, right? Then it's the rudiments of the world, as he mentions here. It's, it's through philosophy. You know, what, what, what seems like the right ideology here? And when you start to go down that path for your authority and then your discernment as to what's allowable and what's not allowable, it's not going to be long, folks, before you have a sort of anarchy in society. There is a new phrase that has arisen in recent years that describes this exuberance for elimination. And it's called the cancel culture. How many have heard that phrase? The cancel culture, right? It's, it's kind of the rage out there. And people who are enlightened by it, uh, and we would say they, are, they, they adhere to the tenets of cancel culture. Um, and this would be one, one way they think, but this is another term that's kind of a, a newfangled term. They sometimes say this is the woke generation right it's not even good grammar by the way okay uh but i guess it's the idea that they have awakened themselves to a greater truth you know a higher understanding a a, a more erudite way of looking at life perhaps and so they'll say you know you're part of the woke or you've been woke you know and like, i don't even like alarm clocks someone says you know but uh, but part of being woke would be, you know, you would say, yes, there is some legitimacy to this whole cancel culture. So here's the question. How does the cancel culture fit in with the Christian and his biblical worldview? Now, that's a, that's a big topic. I'm going to just kind of hit it um, hot and heavy tonight shortly, okay? And I want to explore that in just a couple of different ways, mostly to get your own brains thinking a little bit. And hopefully, if you haven't already uh, woke in the right way to the concern for those who are woke, <laughs> um, then hopefully we'll walk out of here a little bit more exhorted in this area. So here's the real question. What is cancel culture? What is it? I've kind of given you some examples. But let me put it this way. When an unpopular statement or opinion results in drastic efforts to silence, banish, or even punish the offending party, that is an example of cancel culture. Let me just say that again. When an unpopular statement or opinion results in drastic efforts to silence, banish, or punish the offending party, that's an example of of cancel culture. Notice I said unpopular. Now, those that are woke, those that follow cancel, you know, really promote cancel culture approach, they would say it's because it's wrong. Okay? But that's based on their value system, not necessarily on the rights and wrongs of what our Creator has established. 
But it's definitely become unpopular. And some of it is because they've made it unpopular. And we'll talk about that a little bit too. What really matters most is one's adherence to the collective view. In other words, you're an individual. Here's the group, whatever the group is. Sometimes we would call this like a clique, right? And Or what the in crowd is. And whatever they say, whatever they're thinking, whatever the rudiments, as Colossians put it, or whatever their philosophy, way of thinking is, then that becomes their gospel pretty much. That becomes what they're passionate about. To avoid becoming a target of cancel culture, one must be in tune to what the proponents are broadcasting, and largely through social media. You think, how does this get traction? Where does this, you know, how is this successful that this is going on? And one of the reasons why this dynamic exists right now in recent years is because we never had social media before, you know, 10 or so years ago. And so the fact that everybody can have a very strong voice and because people can group themselves, they can very quickly and very rapidly put out their, what they are postulating in these ways. So it's broadcast largely through social media. It's what liberals are supporting in the mainstream media. And you can, you know, not that I'm encouraging you to do this, but, you know, used to be that it seemed like the news was more newsy, but especially, you know, the last time, and it's probably been a year since I've watched a morning news program, but I was just amazed at how they would put, dedicate a significant segment of the morning news to what is being put out on social media which therefore gives it greater traction because it's like, well, I heard it on the news. Well, all they did was simply reamplify what a group of people, and it may not even be the majority of people out there, but it gets even strength there. And then it's what lawmakers, because lawmakers are politicians who are voted and they're very susceptible to the opinions of their constituency, right? And so... They're sometimes not necessarily in favor in their own ideology as lawmakers of what is being promoted, but they're validating it through the government. They find themselves validating it. So the cancel culture almost always operates on what is called an honor versus shame dynamic. Do you want to... Do you want to be someone that's honored or do you want to be someone that's shamed? There is little to no room for redemption for a person in this scheme of things. And by that I mean if you cross a line, if you unwittingly break into what they say, this is the right philosophy, and you do something or say something, no amount of retractions is, is going to buy you back into the good graces of these people. 
the goal is really not to correct people. You know, it's not like they're saying, well, you know, okay, so you made a mistake, you know, if that's the way you think, but, you know, this is the way it is. You can come back and, and make a statement, and it's not going to matter to them in many, most cases. They're not there to correct people, but to condemn. The spirit of cancellation doesn't just stop with the issue at hand. They want the people themselves to be canceled out. You know, you're, you're done. The shame, because remember I said it's an honor-shame thing. If you go with the flow and you post what they post and you like what they like and you talk about what they talk about, then you're honored. But the shame extends to anyone even that's associated with a guilty party. Oh, you like him? And you know, and we've seen this. Just our former president, for example, who was very outspoken and was not going to to bow to the cancel culture. But if he felt this is what ought to be true, I at least appreciated that about him, that he had a backbone, even if I didn't agree with every aspect of his demeanor. And so then, if it's like, oh, you align yourself with him or that party, then you're, you're just guilty by association. We don't want to know anything else about you. Identification becomes synonymous with endorsement. There's pressure to unfriend and unfollow in the social media realm. I, you know, I hear people talk about this. I, friends, you know, someone would say, I was friends with this person I went to high school with, and, you know, and then I posted something about such and such, and next thing I know, they unfriended me. You know, they left a scathing comment, and then they unfriended me. Well, they probably weren't a very good friend in the first place, if that's the case. They dropped followers like a hot potato, and you and I will probably be next. There is an inconsistency or even a hypocritical application, though, often of these people that follow through with this cancel culture mindset. An individual's rights or being offensive is typically very one-sided. In other words, no one's permitted to point out that, that while someone, let's say it's a politician or a lawmaker, and they're touting a principle, they might give themselves a free pass in the actual exercise of that principle. In other words, they, they proclaim it, but they don't necessarily live by it. Example of this might be those that are touting the climate change mantra, right? And fall into that almost cult-like thing. Now, again, I'm all for taking care of the creation that God has given to us. Don't get me wrong. I think, I think we ought to take reasonable precautions. And we ought to do what we can to be energy efficient and things of that nature. There's no problem in that. But I think what we do need to see is those people that will get up and try to shame people who don't necessarily invest in the same way and, and as, are as exercised in it as being horrible culprits, being insensitive to what kind of carbon footprint that you're creating, and then they hop on their own private jet and fly off somewhere. And, and no one in their own 
party or in their own circle is going to point the finger at them. Why? Because they don't want to be canceled. See how the safety mechanisms work there? So what it really boils down to, if you think about it, is it's about power and influence and not about justice and right and wrong. It's about who can have the most influence. This is exactly what was going on in the day of Paul and the Colossae believers. There was about those that could exert a power by their teaching over Paul's teaching. They wanted the people in Colossae to be followers of them and not of Paul because there was something that was very stroking of their ego to say, look at the following I have. Imagine the boost to someone's ego if they can influence an entire society to their way of thinking. Under the banner of championing a cause, businesses have been adversely impacted or even shut down. Long accepted labels and branding must be adjusted at whatever expense it takes. But here's even more of the problem. Sometimes with the same mindset, God's word is actually censored. You're not able to say what even the Word of God says in certain places, certain settings. Policies held by conservative groups are often bullied into compliance by those that are more outspoken. In other words, I don't care what your Christian convictions are. You don't don't believe like I believe, then away with you. When activists see that they are gaining traction, really it becomes even more intoxicating for them. More people get on it just because it's powerful and it's influential. Where is, it's what we learned in high school in, um, in, in our uh, government and politics class, what was called bandwagon. And sometimes people that are on the bandwagon don't even know what the bandwagon believes. They're just glad to be on the bandwagon because everybody else is. In this way, the heart of the cancel culture is almost like a form of vandalism. So how in the world is it like vandalism, preacher? Well, at the heart of vandalism, some of it it can be motivated by, look what I can do. Look what I can do. And every time you you go by and you see that graffiti on the underpass or whatever, you know, the artist, quote-unquote, takes a certain amount of pleasure in what he was able to to get away with. And even if it causes extra work for someone, there's a certain deriving of pleasure. Look what I can do. Sometimes people would have a, uh, a false bomb scare just to see how fast they could empty a building based upon a phone call they make, right? And some of that is it, the, the very pride of the human heart that drives all of this. There is a very dangerous cycle to justifying the positions of cancel culture movements. Why is a concern justified, whatever it might be? Well, this is an offensive label, or that ideology shouldn't be taught in this school because it comes from the Word of God. They, they might say, well, okay, well, why is the concern justified? 
But the answer sometimes comes back by simple-minded people. Well, look at how many people support it. I mean, how can you not support it? I mean, how can you not say that this cause is justified when so many people are supporting that, that particular idea? And then you ask the question, well, why are so many people supporting it? Well, because it must be justified. And so it's one that's trying to justify, one that's trying to support the other. It's a cyclical form of reasoning, or what we call it a house of cards, but no one points it out. But let's go to our Bibles and ask ourselves the question. Are there some examples of cancel culture in the Bible? And there's actually lots of them. But for the sake of time, I just want to mention three. One is a woman by the name of Jezebel. Very infamous woman, right? Jezebel. Think about her approach of government. She's a queen. Queen of the northern tribes, sometimes called uh, the tribes of Samaria, Jezebel and her approach was overwhelming Israel with Baalism and also not just introducing Baalism, but slaying all the prophets of Jehovah. That was her approach. She sought to cancel out the worship of Jehovah by eliminating the prophets of God. And she was very driven by that. Talk about cancel culture. She was really canceling out prophets. She then funded the false prophets of Baalism. Her father, who was Ithobael I, was king of Tyre and Sidon. So it's easy to see where her passion for this false religion of Baalism was. I mean, it's, it's even part of his name. And kings often took names for themselves that involved the deity that they honored in worship. So... Ithobael, and he named his daughter Jezza, what? Bel, which is really just another form of Baal. And so it was really inbred in her, we would say. But even when God has that very amazing and miraculous event on top of Mount Carmel with Elijah, and the fire comes down, and it licks up the, the, even the water and the trough around it, and all the people are shouting, the Lord be God. And all the false prophets of Baal were slain. And all that happened. Guess what Jezebel did when she caught wind of the news? Her idea was to cancel out the comeback of Jehovah by trying to cancel out the prophet Elijah. The Lord do so to me and more also if I don't make the life your life, Elijah, like the life of one of those prophets. And so, under the threat of execution, Elijah was intimidated by her threats, but I really think that more than intimidated by Jezebel, because he ultimately wanted to end, his life to end anyway, I think he was just so disappointed that she didn't become a believer and she didn't humble herself even as much as Ahab had. I mean, he, he goes rushing back under the orders of what the prophet Elijah had told him to say all the way to Jezreel. 
But God later reminds Elijah that there was an unseen element of faithful servants who had not been canceled, right? Not not everybody's been canceled, Elijah. God sustained the faithful even if it was not always obvious to the eyes. In fact, there were thousands. And what does this tell us? It tells us not to ever lose faith just because the wicked become very boisterous. And the wicked are boisterous, aren't they? And they're going to become more boisterous. And they're going to become more assertive. They're become bigger bullies especially to believers in the one true God and those that uphold Christ Jesus as Lord. So Jezebel is an example of her government and cancel culture. Let's go to the New Testament think about Acts 14. We meet Paul and Barnabas coming to a community called Lystra. There was actually three cities, Derby and Iconium, all closely um, located there nearby each other. Paul comes in and, you know, he's going to preach the gospel. The people in the community, however, get distracted. And they all of a sudden they want to worship Paul and Barnabas because of a physical healing that they bring about for a lame man who was lame from the time he was born. And Paul quickly rebukes the people for what they're doing. This is misdirected worship. And when he explained that it was the living God would have them to actually turn from their vanities of idolatry, that's what what God, the one true God, wants you to do. Don't worship us, and by the way, don't worship all these idols that you've been worshiping either. And isn't it interesting, the, the fickleness of this crowd? They went from wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas to wanting to cancel them. They did not just want to be done with his message, but they wanted to prevent him from sharing it ever again. We, we don't want you just to leave. We want to keep you from ever speaking this message again. What if Paul and Barnabas had begun to throw rocks at the residents the moment that they saw their intolerable religious practice? I mean, imagine Paul and Barnabas coming in like, look at all these false idols, and Paul just picked up rocks and started throwing at them. Like, why are you throwing rocks at us? You know, because your philosophy doesn't match our philosophy, right? But see, you know, that would be wrong, right? That would be wrong. And you say, that seems absurd. But they have no problem retaliating that way. Truth of the matter is, God's way is to correct when possible and not just cancel. Paul didn't just go in and say, we just need to eliminate all these idolaters. No, we need to give them the gospel so they'll be redeemed. Right? What does the Bible tell us? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of the gospel. One more, and of course, I believe the supreme example of the cancel culture is the crucifixion of Christ, right? And it really comes to an apex when in John 19, 15, Pilate is presenting Jesus to the multitude of the Jews, and he says this, Behold your king. And in 1915, they cried out, Away with him. Hear the cancellation there? Away with him. Away with him. They repeat that phrase, 
crucify him. Same spirit in their heart as the people of Lystra are going to have in their hearts towards Paul and Barnabas. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? I mean, he's really in disbelief about this. The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. We have our ideology. We have our philosophy. It's the rudiments of this world. They were spoiled. You see, not every issue we have to recognize that is, that is preached is by the cancel culture a direct attack on Christ or a biblical principle. I mean, if the cancel culture wants to go after some name of an athletic team, we don't see that as, oh, they're, you know, that's an attack on Christianity. No, I'm not saying that at all. The cancel culture can be a conducive environment, though, is what I'm saying, for anti-Christ or anti-Christian sentiment. It is the mindset and the approach. And it's a general way of thinking that may be no respecter of persons. The Bible tells us don't be a respecter of persons. Well, in the cancel culture, they are respecters of persons, aren't they? And so, friends, let's beware. The Bible gives us ample reasons. So, lastly, what should be the Christian's response to the modern-day cancel culture? One, evaluate the content of the proposed change. I mean, when you hear it, don't just dismiss it. It's like, oh, those people are talking again. It must be wrong. Some things may need to be canceled out. Do you ever think about that? Is there some stuff in our society that it'd be better if it did go away? Amen. Unfortunately, we recognize a lot of that stuff, they don't. They don't target those things. We should never hold that society is fine just the way it is. So that's number one. Number two, resist the emphasis of societal adjustments as the answer to humanity's problems. Resist the emphasis of societal adjustments as the answer to humanity's problems. In theology, when we talk about looking at prophecy, we sometimes talk about the belief of amillennialism. We don't believe in amillennialism here, folks, because the Bible doesn't teach it. The Bible teaches premillennialism, and that means pre-Jesus is going to come a second time and then set up a perfect government on this planet. Amillennialism means that, that the coming of Jesus again was, is just a spiritual coming. It's just a theoretical coming. It's when he comes into your hearts, not a literal return to the Mount of Olives. Problem is, the Bible teaches quite literally and very dogmatically the other. So I say, well, then what do they do about society if they don't really believe Jesus is coming back and, and going to fix everything? They believe they've got to fix everything. Our millennialists are big societal adjustment people and while they would never admit it they believe they're the saviors rather than relying on the savior who we already have the church must never get pulled into the current of humanitarian reforms as being the solution 
Sure, there's things that need to be fixed in government. There's things that need to be fixed in society. But that's not where the real problem is, folks. The problem is in the individual hearts of each man and woman, boy and girl. And only the gospel is going to fix that. Man would rather do reforms on a large scale. Is there anything big we can do? Because honestly, it seems very difficult for me to target one person after another and, and sometimes to have to spend lots of times, maybe even years, with giving them the gospel and witnessing to them and loving on them to see them come to know Christ as their Savior. But that's the way Jesus established it. It doesn't work any other way. Man would rather reform on a large scale, but let us address what we need but don't tell me what is wrong with me is the mindset of so many people. It's okay if you say what we need. Just don't get personal with the me. Society's macro problems are the result of micro issues. You know, why is society such a problem? Because the individuals that make up society are sinners. So you've got to go down to the root. We must deal with the individual... And then, as we do, dealing with the sin nature of that person and their rebellion against the Creator and the self-idolizing bent that every person has, and as that is dealt with and repented of, there begins to be change. But again, our concern is not to reform society. It's to win one after another. Now, sometimes we've seen great revivals in our world where there's communities, even countries. I'm going to read some exciting, go back a couple hundred years and read about the, the great Welsh revivals, where it swept an entire island and a group of people. The Holy Spirit broke upon those people. But it was one individual after another coming to Christ as their Savior. Thirdly, do not fall to their tactics. Proverbs 12:18 says, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. And there are going to be days that you're going to turn on the news or you're going to see something on social media or you're going to have a neighbor that says something to you across the back fence and it's just going to uh, dig at you like the piercing of a sword. That's what, that's what Solomon is saying. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. And we ought to have wise tongues, folks, right? And so what we say, what comes out of our mouth, ought to be towards the betterment of a person's soul. It's tempting to match verbal words with those promoting cancel culture and get into a verbal duel or a debate with them. That's, that's my flesh. I don't know about yours, but when I hear this, I was like, I just so much want to post something right here and it's not a bible verse right and i'm like you know lord take control that's more my flesh that's more me not the spirit and what are we called to do we're called to speak wisdom you know maybe there is a bible verse that needs to go there promote what god's word promotes that's the sword Fourthly, do not lose faith. Remember that God 
remain sovereign over society even when the messages are indifferent to him. When the, or I'm sorry, the, the masses are indifferent to him. God reminded Elijah that there were thousands who had not succumbed to Jezebel's cancel culture and remained loyal to Jehovah. You don't always see it, but it's there. They were not prominent, but they did exist, and God was always in control. When Hitler was in control, Mussolini, when World War II was going on and they had the internment camps, folks, God was still in control. You have only to read some biographies like Bonhoeffer and Corey Ten Boone's The Hiding Place to realize that God was very powerful. It was only the foolish that thought that they, they really were overcoming the world because of their human efforts. God never stopped being sovereign over Ahab and Jezebel. God was always God over them. When the fullness of time came, God dealt with them, and up to that time, God protected and provided for the faithful ones. He did that. And so remember, in Psalm chapter 2, how does that chapter begin in verse 1? The heathen raging, right? There's, there's David. He's it's like, oh Lord, I can't stand living in this society. The heathen are raging. <laughs> Folks, are the heathen raging right now in our society? Man, they are. It's just incredible. They, 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 we saw that rage when they felt like they lost a measure of control in our country when God had, for whatever His purposes were, to have the president for the last four years, the last previous four years, be. And all you could hear was the rage from, from, from that side. And yet Psalm 2.4 says this, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Is what's going on here causing God to wring His hands? It is not, folks. It never will. I don't care how bad it gets. The Nancy Pelosi's, the people that are in, in charge of Black Lives Matter, People that we may not agree with all their ideologies and they may say things that are even going to ultimately infringe upon our rights in this country, if we could put it that way. Our freedoms. God looks at them and He is not challenged. He's not sweating over it. He laughs not because it's funny in the sense that it's not serious, but laughs in the sense that they somehow think that their rage has some sort of authority or power to it. We still serve the God that just in a thought confounded all the people at the Tower of Babel into the languages of this world. And every time we hear a different dialect spoken, let's think about how powerful our God is, is that we still, with all our technology and all of our smarts, we still can't get our language linked back together as a global community. So may the knowledge that the Lord is our helper cause us to fear 
not to fear, rather, what man can do to us. That's what Hebrews 13, 6 says, or 5 says. And then verse 6 says, so that we may boldly say, I love that, right? Boldly. And we need to have some boldness about us Christians. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So cancel away a culture. Come after Christianity. The Lord's my helper. It might impede my free movements in my life someday, but you can't take away my freedom in Christ. And no one can. Praise God. Father, Lord, we, we do pray for those that are deluded. And Lord, just as Paul wrote to the believers in Colossae, there were believers that were deluded by the cancel culture of their day. And Lord, there's no doubt people that are in evangelical churches that are being deluded by the rudiments of this world, by philosophies, and they're buying into this, and they're adjusting their biblical beliefs. They're setting up society and the influence of the movements of what's going on in social media, mainstream media, and even governments to determine what their value system is rather than going back to the Bible and holding on to those landmarks. Lord, awaken the seriousness of this in the minds of believers and especially of pastors that are standing in pulpits today to sound the alarm. And Lord, we do pray that You would snatch in pity those that are unsaved, that need redemption full in their lives. And Lord, that You'd use us as ambassadors for Christ to that end. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.